0: 1,400 years before Jesus ever set foot in the city of Jerusalem, Moses already foretold back in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy in chapter 28 that God's people would fail to be faithful to their covenant. And as a result, a foreign nation, a hard-faced nation that's brutal to young and old alike, would swoop in and would break them down and tear down their walls and would besiege them in such a way so terrible that parents would even turn to being cannibals with their own children, painting a dark and terrifying picture of just how grave the consequences of unfaithfulness to God would be. And even with those warnings, even with times of experiencing God's great blessing, when the people were faithful to God as they did take the land he promised them, as cities were built up, as wise King Solomon, the son of David, constructed a magnificent temple for the worship of God, the people would be unfaithful. And eventually many of Moses' warnings would come to pass centuries later when the nation of Babylon would swoop in and would tear down the walls of Jerusalem and burn down the temple and carry the people away into captivity. But even in times like this, when God's people would find themselves punished for their sinfulness, God still spoke of a hope and a future for them through the prophets. And so it was that prophets like Daniel would foresee events that would happen still after that, when there would be hope for one like a son of man to come and reign from God's right hand, but also seeing times that because of the unfaithfulness of some, grave consequences would be faced. So it was that in Daniel chapter 11, beginning with verse 29, he foretold with startling accuracy something that would happen a few hundred years after that, a couple hundred years before the birth of Jesus, when a Seleucid ruler, having failed in a campaign, would turn and take out his anger on the people of Israel. And Daniel predicted in Daniel chapter 11, verse 31, that forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. By Jesus's day. Six hundred years after Daniel, a couple hundred years after this prophecy was fulfilled, they had believed that this had been what had happened. When the Seleucid king had come and set up an idol to Zeus right there in the temple in Jerusalem, had offered a pig, something that the Jewish people considered unclean on the altar there, but the Maccabees had risen up and fought against them. That's history that you can't read about within the pages of your Bible, but it is in the apocryphal book of 1st and 2nd Maccabees, or recorded by other historians like the Jewish historian Josephus from the 1st century. Yet, as Jesus sat with some of his closest followers outside of the temple there in Jerusalem, a conversation that's recorded for us in Luke chapter 21 and Mark chapter 13, and as we'll give attention to Matthew, Chapter 24. Jesus made clear that those prophecies, centuries or even in Moses' case, millennia in the making, hadn't yet been completely fulfilled. Because after telling his apostles that this temple that they were so impressed by in Jerusalem would soon be torn down so that one stone wasn't standing on another, Jesus talks them through what's going to happen over the next few decades, things that many of those apostles would live through themselves. And then, in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15, he foretells something that will prove to be a pivotal moment in the history of the Jewish people and the city of Jerusalem where they were presently sitting. When Jesus said, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, sometimes this can be a difficult passage for us to read, but that often has more to do with how we approach the passage than with the passage itself. Because when we read biblical prophecy selfishly, when we assume that it's about us primarily, that it's foretelling something that's still in our future, we miss out on the tremendous blessing that can be there. Because if we look back and through the eyes of faith, through historical documentation like the inspired book of Acts or even other non inspired historical works from the first century, we see how everything Jesus said in the first part of Matthew chapter 24 was being fulfilled in the 80s, 30s, and 40s, and 50s and 60s. So it's only natural then that what we read here in Matthew 24, 15 through 28, isn't primarily about some distant future. In fact, these are things that we see fulfilled for the Jewish people in AD 66 through 70. That's when the Jewish people would finally have one revolt too many against the Romans, against a hard-faced nation known for its brutality, whose insignia for its army was actually an eagle. And because there would be uprisings that would rise out and spread throughout the Jewish cities, the Romans would come and they would besiege the city of Jerusalem. It would cause a famine to set in that would be so terrible that parents were actually recorded as having feasted on their children to survive something that caused even the Romans to look away in disgust, to feel like this people deserves the punishment that's coming on. them. So it is that when we appreciate that history, history that's recorded for us by people like Josephus, if you don't have a copy of this or are able to find one online to read for free, you might find it very worthwhile to look at some of the history from that time frame, because when you do, you'll see that what Jesus foretold here what he foretold here in the early 80-30s, what Matthew and the other gospel writers were inspired to record him saying in the 80-50s and 60s is exactly what happened in the late 8060s 60s into 87. So much so that some people question whether this was really something that Matthew wrote because it is so incredibly accurate. When we see things like that, Or when we see how Daniel's prophecy in the period of time between 600 and 500 before Christ, or Moses's prophecy from 1,400 years before Christ, gets so stunningly fulfilled in history, that can actually build our faith. It can build our confidence that what we're reading here did, in fact, come from God, because exactly what Jesus said would happen, or Daniel said would happen, or Moses said would happen, happen, happen. In fact, a church historian from three or 400 ADs named Eusebius would actually report that there had been no followers of Jesus in the city of Jerusalem at the time of the siege and its destruction, because the readers did understand. They recognized the signs of the time, as Matthew and Mark and Luke had recorded Jesus giving them, so that when these things began to happen, they left the city of Jerusalem and weren't among those who were so viciously, terribly destroyed. That's what Jesus's prophecy can do for us, if we'll allow it. It can give us confidence that Jesus knows what he's talking about. It can build our faith that this isn't just some book that some guys produced, but that it truly is the word of God, and it can help us be sure that if all of these things Jesus said happened exactly like he said they would, then what he says about him coming again to judge the world in righteousness will happen too. But for us to receive that blessing, we can't just drop into Matthew 24 at any old point and make it about us, make it about our future. We have to appreciate where it fits in terms of what Jesus is teaching. So then we can be excited for what Jesus says is coming next.